This story is brought to your ears by all our fantastic supporters on Patreon. To get in on the action yourself with bloopers, extras, and the occasional early story, join us at patreon.com slash voiceofallmtg. For more stories or just a chat, visit voiceofallmtg.com. Also, I'm pleased to announce that we are now available on Spotify, so check us out there if that's your preferred listening location. And now, Voice of All presents Children of the Nameless, part three of three of a novella by Brandon Sanderson. Descenda had always heard the Sealandstone spoken of in the strangest, most contradictory of tones. Villagers would bless the Nameless Angel herself for bestowing it upon the approaches. They seemed proud of the relic, which stilled the souls of the church's followers, preventing them from rising as a geist or other foul creature. But it also prevented a soul from returning to the bog. And so, while the approachers were proud of the angel's blessing, most resisted conversion to the church. Descenda understood. The Sealandstone was an amazing blessing, but was like a gifted ox when you had no cart to pull or no field to plow. Somehow, she was both grateful for the thing and uncomfortable with it as well. She hadn't imagined that they'd keep it in the catacombs. Rom let her down a tight and spiraling stair, his lamp illuminating ancient stones, weathered not by wind or rain, but by the infinite passing of human steps. The air grew chill, damp, and they entered a realm of roots, worms, and other sightless things. At the bottom, they found no door, but a strange stone mural depicting angels in flight. Rom pressed a specific part of the stone, a little knob disguised as an angel's head which sank into the rest. Some ancient mechanism made the stone slide open. It wasn't much of a barrier. Anyone with enough time could probably have found the bit to push, but it was a reminder. Even in the most holy of places, even in the home of an artifact meant to still spirits, it was wise to keep a locked door between yourself and your dead. They passed through the opening and entered the catacombs, which predated the existence of the Priory in its current form. Descenda had expected skulls, but she found only narrow passages. The walls were set with rows of odd stones, perhaps three handspans wide. Shaped like hexagons, many were marked with the symbol of the nameless angel. No bones? No. Nobody here wants to put bodies on display. These people deserve rest, not spectacle. Those stones on the wall can be removed, each revealing a long hole burrowed into the wall. We set the body on a plank, push it in, and then seal it up. She nodded, following silently. There's a lot of space here. Whoever built these catacombs made plenty of space for bodies. But your people don't often choose to be buried here, as is proper. We... <sighs> but how could she respond to that? It was true. The bog is our heritage. I'm sorry. Your people very balanced between two religions. I think you want to worship both at once, suffering the priests when they visit, 
but then going to give your true devotion to the bark. That troubles the prioress, I know, but I'm in no place to chide. I followed two gods myself, you might say. Most of my life it wasn't virtue, but the thrill of the hunt. That was my master. He led her around a curving tunnel, then rested his hand on a symbol engraved on one of the tombs. The rising wings. The symbol of the nameless angel. The same one wrapped around Tacenda's wrist, above the hand where she carried her vial. I'd heard about this bog of yours before I came. So I wasn't surprised by it, but this nameless angel. Many of the local priests would rather wear her symbol than that of the church. Avison is... was... the Archangel. And she presided over entire hosts of other angels. It is... was... her church. But she was always a far-off divinity. The faithful here, like my sister, always preferred a more personal angel. You mistake me. I was... I was pleased to find it. After Avison's betrayal, finding news of another angel who still loved her people. Well, it gave me hope. Hope that even a crusty, blood-stained hunter like me might be able to find peace. His lips turned down as he said that last part for some reason, but then he just shook his head and led her down one of the many branching paths in the catacombs. He was right. There was a lot of space down here. She'd always imagined a couple of small crypts, not this network of tunnels. Eventually, they reached a small stone room with padded benches along the sides. And there it was, the sealing stone itself, a white rock like a large goose's egg, decorating a pedestal in the center. Rom closed the shades on his lantern to show that the stone glowed with its own soft light. A shifting, milky radiance, like the colors of oil on water. They spun in a serene pattern, as if the sealing stone were filled with different iridescent liquids, flowing in an eternal circular procession. To send his breath caught. It was beautiful. They say it gets brighter each time an approacher gives themselves to the church. Can... can I touch it? Best not, young miss. But you can look. Uh, here, sit and watch the patterns. Unable to tear her eyes away from the transfixing course of colors, Tacenda stepped back until she found one of the benches, and then sat down, laying her vial in her lap. They always put the new priests down here, as one of their first duties to watch the stone. You don't guard it always, but... It makes for good practice to someone to meditate here while remaining alert all night. It's been a little while since I had that job, but I remember sitting here for nights on end, just staring and thinking about all the years this stone has seen. It was first given to a lone priest who kept it in a shrine. Then a church was built for it, and the catacombs to house the dead. Finally, the prioress came, and she saw a proper building here at last. The stone has seen all that and more. Perhaps I shouldn't be presumptuous, little miss, 
but this is your heritage, as much as that bog. Lord Davriel told me earlier that my people talk too much about destiny. He said I should stand up for myself and decide my own path, rather than believing in things like fate. She looked toward Rom to find light from the sealant stone flowing across his face. What do you think? I don't know. Seems to me that it's basically impossible to choose for yourself. I mean, if I do what Davriel says, how is that any different from doing what my village tells me? And that's not independence. It's just choosing a different influence. Rom grunted, and Descenda continued watching the shifting lights. She recognized that Rom had brought her down here to keep her from being caught up in the conflict between Davriel and the Prioress. Instead of fetching water, he'd just asked if she was interested in seeing the stone. Davriel. She remembered that look in his eyes, that shadow, when they'd found Brerig dead. Davriel had the second darkness in his eyes. A void to consume all life and leave the world as cold as he was. Rom, did you ever think about the demons you killed when you were younger? Did you worry about the hurt you were causing them? No. No, when I was young, I, I can't say that I did. Oh. When I was older, though, and the angels went mad, I, I thought about it then. I wondered, was my entire life just gonna be about the killing. Was there no way to stop it? Make a world where men didn't need to fear either the darkness or the light? Did you find any answers? No. That's why I finally walked away. He glanced upward and waved to her, gesturing. Um, let's go see what the damage has been upstairs. Tessenda nodded picking up her vial and joining him. As they left, however, she noted something she'd missed at first. She'd been so focused on the sealant stone, she hadn't seen there was a mural on the wall here too. Carved stone, depicting the defeat of a terrible demon from a story she didn't know. That mural. There's a knob like the one you pushed under the demon's feet. Is it a secret doorway too? Aye. There's about a few more of those down here. Mostly to nothing of note, little chambers where we store embalming equipment or dustbins. Oh. Ah, uh, that one though? That leads to a tunnel out of the catacombs, into the forest. This place down here, it's not just for the dead. It's a place to barricade ourselves. If something attacks, we can hide from it down here, or get out through one of the secret exits. She nodded, thinking about that fact. Even the Priory, perhaps in particular the Priory, needed a place of retreat should an attack come. All buildings and villages were really just fortresses out in the darkness, careful to close their gates and lock them tightly at night. As they left, she glanced over her shoulder one last time at the iridescent stone. Strange that she'd lived in Verlossen all her life, but had never come here to see the Nameless Angel's gift. And who is she to you? Have you ever seen her? Perhaps it was best the Nameless Angel had vanished long ago. 
Stories had been enough for Willia, who had been drawn to anything that spoke of fighting against the darkness, but never for Tessenda. She hurried after Rom, but as they wound back to the stairs, she noticed lights coming from one of the other corridors. She tapped Rom on the shoulder, and then pointed. Oh, that? Just where we prepare the bodies of the dead, and keep them until it's time for burial. She froze as Rom continued on. The bodies of the dead waiting for burial? Like... Tessenda couldn't help herself. She turned down that corridor. Rom called after her, but she ignored him. Soon she stepped into another small chamber, this one lit by flickering candles atop mounds of sloughed wax. The back wall held a carved relief of the nameless angel, her face hidden behind her arm, holding a carving of the sealant stone. Three bodies in their burial regalia lay on slabs along the wall. One was a young woman with short hair. Though others would mistake the two of them, Tessenda couldn't understand how. Willia was leaner and stronger than Tessenda, her hair shorter but somehow more golden. And Willia was the far more pretty one, despite the fact that they had the same face. Rom stumbled up and then noticed the bodies. Oh, 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 what a fool I am, young miss. I should have realized. Tessenda stepped up to Willia, lowering her vial in one hand, touching the other to the corpse's cheek. No, not a corpse. Just a body. Willia's soul was still out there, recoverable, just like that of Jorl and Kari, whose bodies also adorned the room. Willia looked so strong, even in death. While the faces of the others were frozen masks of terror, she just looked like she was sleeping. Tessenda held her hand to Willia's cheek, trying to impart some of her warmth to the comatose body, like she'd done in singing to her sister during long, cold nights, before either had known the extent of their powers. You must choose your own path, make your own destiny, Davriel had said. That seemed an easy platitude when you were a powerful lord, when you didn't have a village to care for or a family to protect. Maybe it wasn't destiny that had kept Tessenda in her place by the cistern, singing away the first darkness. Maybe it had been something stronger. Is this where you've gotten to? Davriel emerged into the room, and his cloak flared around him, as if stretching its arms after the cramped walk through the corridors. My lord, is the prioress, I, I mean... Melinda and I have reached an amicable agreement, in which she agreed she was wrong, and I agreed that killing her would be far too much of a hassle. Tessenda, I have what I came for. I wish to be away from this place before its stench starts to cling to my clothing. She drew her hand away from Willia's cheek. The best way to help her. The only way was to go with this man. We came to see the sealant stone. Do you think perhaps it might be able to help us somehow? Last I looked, it was nothing more than a pretty piece of rock with a simple dampening ward set upon it. Your songs are several orders of magnitude more potent. It's a powerful relic, given to us by the nameless angel herself. An angel nobody has seen for decades. 
The old story is nonsense. I don't know where the stone originated, but I doubt it's from an angel. Why would she give such a supposedly powerful relic to an insignificant little group of villagers? It would be far more effective in a larger population center. Not everything is just about raw numbers. Of course it isn't. The true import is in how those numbers add up. He took off up the stairs. Why was he suddenly so impatient? She practically had to bribe him to get to investigate in the first place. Desenda hung back with Rom, who walked up the stairs with a slower, more deliberate pace, gripping the handrail tightly. He's wrong. The sealing stone's magic might not be powerful, but it doesn't need to be. It's here to shelter the souls of the faithful, and the charm being simple don't mean that it ain't important. Just like faith. Don't mean to speak ill of his lordship, but that's the problem of being as smart as he is. You get used to figuring things all out in your head, and when the real world don't match up, you make excuses. At the top of the steps, she noted a place farther down the hallway where the stark white walls had been marred by terrible black symbols in shapes that made her eyes squirm. Had he summoned demons in the middle of the priory? They reached the door out. Thank you, Rom, for your service. If I'm ever forced to exterminate the members of this priory, I'll kill you last. Miss Velarsen, we are off. He strode out into the light. Rom hastily raised his lantern. Lord, will you want... Davriel held out his hand and summoned a jet of flame to light his way as he strode across the priory grounds. <sighs> I'd best be checking on the priors. Watch yourself this night, young miss. It's a dangerous dark watching us. That it is. She nodded to him in thanks, then hurried after Davriel. Though he didn't seem to notice the heat from the flame in his hand, it made her face begin to sweat. Why are we in such a hurry all of a sudden? Have you discovered something useful? Not really. Then why are you so eager? The demons saw them coming, and Crunchnar rolled the carriage up to them along the dark road. I have decided that I'm going to take a nap. He meant it. In the middle of the quest to save the village, while the night was ticking away and each moment brought to send a closer to losing her vision, Lord Davriel Kane took a nap. After traveling a few miles from the priory, Davriel kicked Ascenda and the demons out of the carriage, pulled down the shades, then curled up in his cloak. Miss Highwater shut the door with a click, shaking her head with a smile. I can't believe this. It's 2.30 in the morning. He's a powerful man when he decides he wants to be one, but he's still mortal. He needs sleep. And tonight his bedtime preparations were interrupted by a child with an improvised dagger. Inside the carriage, Davriel started snoring softly. Crunchnar and Miss Highwater moved to a hollow on the side of the road where someone had piled rocks to make a fire pit. It was probably a common stop on the way to the bog. She might have stopped here before herself, but her trips this direction had always been during the day, when she'd been blind. The demons hauled over some wood, then Crunchnar touched his forehead for a moment, igniting a small flame 
on his fingertip. Soon, he had an inviting fire crackling in the pit. Miss Highwater sat with the lantern behind her, sitting primly on a stone and looking through her ledger, then writing some notes. Tessenda sat down near the flames and found fatigue creeping up on her as well. She was used to staying up through the night, but... Oh, it had been a long night, exhausting mentally and emotionally. She didn't want to let herself nap, though. Not when alone with the demons, particularly Crunchnar. Still... Despite his twisted face, prominent horns, and blood-red eyes, even he looked somehow human as he squatted by the fire, warming himself. I never liked the overworld. Too cold. I don't understand how you humans can live like this, half frozen each night. Descenda shrugged. We don't really have much choice. Though I suppose if we really wanted to go somewhere warmer, you'd happily take us. Crunchnar smiled. I doubt you would find the fires of hell to your liking, girl. Lesser demons like me are usually forced to give up our prizes to our lords. I have claimed the souls of eight people during my existence, but have only ever been fed a small portion of each one. Don't you ever feel bad about that? Empathy for the souls you're taking? Guilt for what you've done? It is what I was created to do. It is my place in the world. Why should I feel guilt? You could be something else. Something better. I cannot ignore my nature any more than you can, girl. Crunchnar nodded toward the carriage. He likes to pretend that anyone can choose their own way. But eventually, even he will have to pay the debts he owes. And his freedom will last as long as an ember separated from its fire. Tessenda shifted on her rock. The words felt uncomfortably like what she'd said to Davriel herself earlier. I was chosen by the bog. I must follow my destiny. You understand. Hellfire, those eyes of his were disconcerting. At least Miss Highwater had pupils, even if they were red. Crunchnar's eyes were straight crimson. You are smarter than he is for all his confidence. I... We could make a deal. I must keep Davriel alive for another sixteen years, but perhaps we could find a way to stun him. Hold him captive. He acts mighty, but he has no power of his own, only what he steals. We could imprison him, and you could become the Lady of the Manor. Rule in his place. The demon stood, looming beside the fire. Lit by its harsh light, he cast a long and terrible shadow into the forest. I would serve you and deal with any who question your rule. I would make no try for your soul. I want only his. In sixteen years, I will leave you. No tricks. Crunchnar stepped closer, and Tessenda cringed before him. She bit her lip, and then started humming. He flinched at the sound of the warding song. There is no need for that. Tessenda hummed louder, and the strings on her vial started to vibrate. Crunchnar... Some creature is making sounds over to the north. You should go see what it is. Think about my offer. He nodded toward Miss Highwater. And ignore that one if she pretends to extend you a better deal. She's barely worth being called a demon these days. And you're barely worth being called sapient. But we don't rub your nose in it, now do we? Be a good boy and do what I tell you. He growled softly, but stalked out into the underbrush. 
Once out of the light, he moved with a silence that surprised Tassenda. For all his bulk, there was a dangerous grace about him. Tassenda let her song die off, and the vial fell still. Thank you. The song was hurting me too, child. Pity, as the music seems engaging, I'd like to hear you sing a complete song. Something that wouldn't seek to destroy me. Tassenda stared into the fire, remembering better days. Days when she had sung other songs at Willia's encouraging. Songs of joy for the workers in the fields. Or sung when she'd felt the warmth of her mother's embrace. Songs now dead. Tassenda leaned forward, warming her hands at a fire started with the heat of a demon's flame. Do you... Do you agree with Crunchnar? About your nature? Miss Highwater tapped her cheek with her pencil. Her eyes reflected firelight, seeming to burn. Did you know that I was the first demon he summoned once he reached this land? Tassenda shook her head. None of us had ever heard of him. We were newly free from our prison where we'd spent what seemed like an eternity, though it was actually a relatively short time. Once free, we'd begun eagerly seeking contracts with mortals. I thought I'd make quick work of this dandy with the exaggerated clothing and the lazy way of speaking. I rushed into the contract, then applied myself fully to seducing him. But he barely glanced at me before sending me to count the currency in the former lord's coffer. Over the next few days, I tried every trick I knew. But each time he'd see me, he'd give me another task. Oh, Miss Taria, there you are, he'd say, as if that were somehow my last name. Now, I've been looking over the receipts from the village taxes, and it seems that many of them have been paying in goods. Bartering does make my brain ache. Would you see if this ledger adds up? She shook her head as if she still couldn't believe that it had happened. There I am, looking positively radiant, and he just walks past and hands me a list with the prices of livestock on it. That must have been frustrating, I guess. Tassenda tried not to blush too deeply. It was absolutely infuriating. I finally demanded to know why he'd picked me, of all demons, for this work. He'd summoned the Feaster of Men to balance his accounts. And you know what he did? He pulled out some papers. Copies of the contracts I'd done in the past. Demonologists make those, you know. They summon the contract, make a copy, and then read over the details to study their art. Well, he had about ten of my old contracts, and he absolutely mooned over them. Talked about how clever my wording had been, how neatly I'd ensnared my previous masters. To him, the contracts were the things of true beauty. Miss Highwater smiled, and there seemed to be a real fondness in the expression as she looked toward Davriel's carriage. He didn't care what I looked like. He summoned me specifically because he thought I'd be good at doing his ledgers. And he was right. I am good at contracts. I've always prided myself on that. It has made me an excellent steward. I'm not ashamed of what I am or how I look. But it's nice to be recognized for something else. A thing I've always prided myself on, but virtually every other person, mortal and demon alike, has ignored. So no, I don't think Crunchnar is completely right. Perhaps we were all created for a specific purpose, but that doesn't prevent us from finding other purposes as well. Tassenda nodded and stared into the flames, 
considering that until a sound in the forest nearby made her jump. It was just Crunchnar lumbering back into the light, thumbing back over his shoulder. Banshee doesn't seem related. I frightened it off, but we may want to wake Davriel anyway. Let's give him a few more minutes. That spell from the Prioress will have been painful to absorb, and he could use the rest if we're going to confront the bog. Are you sure he didn't summon you to be his mother instead of his lover? Fortunately for me, you've already taken the position of pet dog. To send a winced at the traded insults, but fortunately the demons fell silent as Crunchnar added a few logs to the fire. They didn't seem terribly concerned that a monster like a banshee was lurking out in the woods. But then again, who could say what would frighten a demon? It didn't feel right to be sitting here without making music. Though she'd spent many a night alone, lit by a lonely fire, she'd spent those hours at least plucking out a variation on the Song of Warding. She'd first manifested that when protecting her family. It had come without her needing to learn it. It had simply happened. The songs were an instinctive part of her. Wasn't that proof enough of her destiny? That the reason she existed was to sing that song? That... A voice seemed to whisper within her. And more. Eventually, Descenda raised her vial and began to pluck a soft melody. Not the song of warding, but something more sorrowful, more solemn. Crunchnar glanced at her as she began to sing. But this melody wasn't meant to drive them away. It was a song she'd never sung, but one that felt right for the moment. She closed her eyes and let herself be absorbed into the music. In that state, the song seemed to come through her, as if her soul were the instrument and the viol merely an amplifier. Time place, and self bled together as the song began to vibrate the strings on its own. She sang of loss, of death and the progress of time, of unchanging woods that watched villages rise and fall, faiths burn bright and die, children grow to ancients, then be forgotten as generations piled on top of one another and infinite fires burn to ash of a girl who had been forced to stop her joyful music and instead start singing only for the night. The song expanded from her, and the vial wasn't its only receptacle. The limbs of the trees vibrated, the stones hummed, the carriage rattled as a quiet percussion. Her song found any available path, and she was no more capable of controlling it than she would be capable of controlling the wind or the moon. But slowly, it changed, inched closer to that song she'd once known, that one her sister had loved. Descender reached for it, but found... found nothing. She trailed off. The remnants of the song echoing inside her mind. She sighed, and then looked up. The demons were gaping at her. Miss Highwater's ledger had tumbled from her fingers and fallen unnoticed to the ground. Crunchnar stared at her, his jaw slack. What happened? I, I felt I was flying. I... 
I was kneeling in the molten pools of Dawn Earth, and the fires, the fires were going out. He felt at his body, and then looked around, as if surprised to find himself in the forest. The door to the carriage slammed open, and Davriel scrambled out, leaving his cloak behind. He stalked toward Tacenda, his eyes wide. She shrank back as he seized her by the shoulders. What was that? What did you do? I... I just... sang. She saw his eyes blur with white smoke. That was no simple warding. What are you? Something slammed into Senda's mind, an overwhelming force. She felt hands reaching into her brain, taking hold of her soul. She felt... No! The music surged in her and she shouted. A burst of light flashed from her, spraying fragments like sparks into the night as it slammed Davriel away from her. He was flung backwards some ten feet before crashing into the side of the coach, splintering the wood. He dropped to the forest ground with a muted thump. Crunchnar stood, hand going to his sword, but it was Miss Highwater who arrived first, pressing a cold dagger to Tessenda's throat. What did you do? I... I don't... Davriel stirred. He lethargically pushed himself up off the ground, leaves sticking to his shirt. He shook his head. Tessenda sat in a rising panic, a knife at her neck. Davriel stood up and dusted himself off, then stretched. Ouch! And looked at the carriage. Miss Highwater, I do believe I have marred this wood with an indentation made by my skull. No surprise. It's always been obvious to me which of the two was harder. She didn't remove the knife from Tessenda's neck. Crunchnar belatedly drew his sword. Um, should I kill her? As amusing as it would be to watch her magic rip you apart, I might still have use of you. So, no. He strolled up to Descenda. She felt so nervous, she was certain the forceful beating of her heart would cause Miss Highwater's knife to slip and draw blood. Avril nodded faintly to the side, and Miss Highwater whipped the dagger away, making it vanish into a sheath at her belt. She picked up her ledger as if nothing had happened. Davriel, however, knelt down before Tessenda. Do you have any idea what it is that lurks inside your mind? The songs. You tried to steal them. You tried to take my powers like you did to those hunters! For all the good it did. Davriel snapped his fingers, dark green smoke coloring his eyes. A small light flashed forming a kind of glowing green energy shield above his hand. I stole a simple protection ward, which is what I expected to find inside of you. But as I touched it, I found something behind it. Something deeper. Something grander. He eyed to Cinder, making the shield vanish. I repeat, do you have any idea what it is? She shook her head. Has it spoken to you? Of course not. Unless... Unless you count the songs. They seem to speak through me. He frowned, then stood and turned back toward the carriage. Davriel? I don't remember giving you permission to use my first name, girl. I don't remember giving you permission to reach into my mind. He paused and looked back. 
to the side, Miss Highwater <laughs> chuckled. Do you know what it is? The thing that you say you sensed inside of me? He climbed back into the carriage. Come, it is time to visit your bog. Davriel had used the power of the Entity only once. It had been five years ago. By that time in his life, he'd been comfortable with his powers and with his strange ability to walk between different planes of existence. He'd spent years traveling, exploring, learning how enormous the multiverse was. He'd suffered enslavement and found vengeance. He'd become expert at dealing with demons. He'd come to realize just how special he was. And he decided, at long last, to claim himself a throne. It had been during that struggle, a desperate, climactic clash between armies and ideologies, that he'd finally relented and drawn upon the Entity. As they rode toward the bog, he let the Entity control his senses. Instead of seeing the inside of the carriage, he saw himself standing on a field of corpses. Men and women in bright red lay scattered in heaps, spotted here and there with the black and gold tabards of his guard. Banners flapped in the wind, a forlorn sound. The air smelled sharply of smoke, a scent that barely covered the stench of blood. Enemies had come to crush his defending army. And so, in desperation, he'd reached for the power. Even he hadn't been prepared for the results. I can give you everything. Worlds upon worlds can be yours. It had been standing on that bloody field that Davriel had first sensed others hunting him. They'd arrived on the battlefield, drawn to the plain by his use of this power like moths to a flame. He didn't know who they were. Likely, they were allies of the dying man from whose mind Davriel had originally stolen the Entity. But he knew that whoever they were, they'd hunt him through eternity for this power. They'd destroy him. And so he'd fled, and left the corpses of both those who had opposed him and those who had believed in him. Their blood mingled on a battlefield that would know no burial. The carriage rocked, shaking Davriel out of his reverie. The memory faded, leaving him with only the feeling of having used the Entity to power his spells. The sudden and awe-inspiring sense of strength that had come from touching something much, much larger than himself. He'd felt that exact emotion minutes ago, after reaching into the girl's mind. His head ached from that encounter, but the ramifications were far, far more troubling than the pain. He looked at Tessenda, who sat on the seat opposite him, her legs tucked beneath her. Miss Highwater pretended to be reading a book, but he suspected from the infrequency of her page turns that she was actually watching Tessenda, with good reason. There is another of you, and it is inside the girl. Yes. Part of it is, at least. It is not fully alive. It cannot speak to her, except in the crudest of ways. Why didn't you tell me there was another of you? All these years, and you never said anything. 
the others should not have mattered. I am the strongest. But after sensing what you did, those who hunted us would destroy you. I realized you needed more than just me. Strongest though I am, I have weaknesses. You brought me here. You planted the idea in my head. You wanted me to come where another of you hid. So that I would take that power as well. Yes. This entity, like myself, is the remnant of an ancient plane. Destroyed! Consumed! Its power condensed. It is the soul of an entire land, you might say. The majority of its power hides in the bog. You can take it and become mighty enough that none will ever dare challenge you. You still haven't answered my question! Why didn't you tell me there were two of you? I am bound to protect you. You are my master and my host. But it was... Hard to admit that I must share you with another. You could still have told me. Perhaps you would have fled again. I do not understand you. To claim me, to use me, is obviously your destiny. And yet you hesitate. I can sense your ambition. I know you understand the glory that awaits you. Your delays confuse me. And so I waited for the right crisis to arrive, to make you move and act. A spike of worry struck Davriel. Are you behind this? Did you kill the people of Verlassen? No! But this is the moment. When you confront the bog, you will see. You will draw upon me, and together we will consume and absorb the power of the second entity. And the girl? She has but a bit of the power. I worried at first that she held it all. But when you saw into her just now, I knew the truth. She has a fraction of the power. I do not know why, or why the souls of the people are acting as they are. Perhaps the entity of the bog senses that we are coming for it. But once we confront it and claim its power as our own, we can deal with the child. The implications of the conversation shook Davriel. Perhaps then he was behind all this. Could the bog have attacked the village in order to gather its power? Was it preparing to fight Davriel? Could he truly confront and defeat an entity like the one in his mind? A rogue power? The fraction of it within the girl had been enough to blast him forcibly back. How would he win a fight against an even greater power? You will need my help. You will make the choice at long last. You will become as a god. These people have already been failed by enough gods. A choice. 
The entity trailed off as the carriage started to slow. Descenda perked up. At the sudden motion, Miss Highwater's hand moved ever so slightly toward her knife. We're here. Descenda opened the door before Crunchnar had time to fully stop the vehicle. Light spilled out, illuminating an old keeper's shack and a dark, watery pit. Descenda hopped down, her dress catching on underbrush as she picked her way toward the bog. Davriel stepped out once the vehicle had stopped, then rested his hand on the place where his body had smashed against the wood. He didn't relish the idea of a conflict. He was exhausted and his head pounded. The entity could heal most normal ailments, but it never removed headaches. Perhaps Davriel needed the reminder that, despite it all, he really was human. Crunchnar's feet thumped against the ground as he leaped from his place atop the carriage. His body healed at an incredible rate. Already the wounds he'd taken at the church had shrunk to mere scratches, barely visible as the demon held up his lantern and bathed the area in orange light. I knew that we'd end up here. I knew it somehow. She turned toward him in the shadows. You did too, didn't you? Davriel approached the bog, pulled as if by invisible chains. Tessenda knelt beside the black pit, staring into the waters, which didn't reflect light as water should. Neither did the light penetrate. The bog seemed to somehow sit outside the scope of illumination. Spells. Davriel needed spells, but what did he have? A few minor charms? Some pyromancy that was dying away, barely strong enough to light a candle at this point? He should have prepared for months, leeching and stowing away the most powerful magic of the multiverse to confront this. You don't need any of that. You have me. The power you took from the Prioress can contain rogue entities, like spirits. And it will work here. With my strength powering that ability, we can contain the entity of the bog. Flee. Davriel's instincts screamed at him to run, to scramble back to his carriage and race the horses to his mansion. Or better yet, he should leave this cursed plain. Let someone else deal with the bog. Let them be heroes or tyrants. Both were virtually the same. Numbers in a table, one with a plus before it, the other a minus. In this land? What was it to him? A temporary home. He could find any number of dominions identical to it across the multiverse. He should leave it right here, right now. And yet, and yet, he continued forward, stepping over a fallen log to join the girl at the edge of the bog, like a black void, a hole puncturing reality. I knew we'd end up here. It was our destiny. I have no destiny, save the one I make for myself. He raised his hands, gathering his power. But your village is mine. These people are mine. It is time the bog understood who rules the approaches. Best you stand back. She didn't retreat, though Crunchnar and Miss Highwater wisely remained near the carriage. Suit yourself. He took a deep breath, then plunged his magical senses into the bog, and found it empty.
An entity had lived here once. Davriel could sense its remnants like a lingering scent. The powerful force had distorted reality around it, leaving the location forever changed. But that power was gone now, empty as a tomb. This is wrong. It was here. It was supposed to be here. What has happened? I don't know. Davriel knelt down and dipped his fingers in the water, feeling at the remnants of power. There was nothing here for him to fight. There wasn't even anything for him to steal. He looked up and expressed the Prioress's talent, the ability to see where spirits had been, and then anchor them. It caused him pain, another headache, but it allowed him to see a glowing green residue nearby. The Whisperers had been here, their trails green like the Prioress had said. And there was something else, something more ancient. A trail that led away toward Velasen Village. He could distinguish it only because he was familiar with the entity inside him. And this was similar. The power had moved, left long ago, perhaps two decades ago? Maybe a little less. The power couldn't tell him precisely. The thing that lived in the bog is gone, and has been for years. What? Part of it is inside you. The entity of the bog resided here for centuries, infusing everything in the area with its scent. It seeped into your souls, like poison getting into bodies through the groundwater, and tied your people to it. So, whoever has that power is controlling the Geists. This is bad. I was not expecting to face a host who was trained in the power, using it to magnify their talents. We can still win, but it will be dangerous. They left me alone. Because... Because the Geists can sense the power of the bog inside you. They likely mistook you for their master. I would have thought you could control them, but for some reason your song doesn't do so. Davriel frowned as Miss Highwater approached, rustling the underbrush. So where does that leave us? Worried. Why would the entity leave the bog? It was afraid. Descenda knelt beside the waters, her eyes looking glassy. Afraid? What could cause something so powerful to be afraid? Faith. What? Kane! Davriel spun toward the carriage, where Crunchnar had pulled out his sword. He thrust the weapon toward the roadway. We have a problem! Get over here! Davriel scrambled to the carriage, trailed by Miss Highwater. Crunchnar's lantern light didn't reach far into the night, but it didn't need to, for the geists approaching along the road gave off a sickly green illumination. There were hundreds of them, their jaws drooping, their faces distorted and inhuman. They flowed through trees and brush, advancing with a steady gait. One disjointed figure near the front lifted its finger, pointing toward Davriel, and its mouth further extended in a silent screech. Dozens of dead eyes locked on him, and then their mouths twisted in turn as, one by one, they recognized him. Tessenda knelt near the bog. 
Davril had to be wrong. She'd believed in the bog all her life. It couldn't really just be empty, could it? Tacenda. The whispered voice had the sound of rustling leaves. She stared into the glassy waters and found, reflected back at her, the face of her mother, as if submerged in the inky depths. Tacenda extended her hand, fingertips touching the top of the bog's surface. The water was unexpectedly warm, like blood. A hand seized her by the shoulder. Miss Highwater, her grip shockingly firm, pulled Tacenda to her feet and then yanked her toward the carriage. What? Geists. They flowed through the forest, terrible, twisted creatures only vaguely shaped like people. And on the wind, she heard their terrible whispers. Tacenda gaped, freezing in place, but Miss Highwater stuffed her into the carriage. Davriel was already inside, banging on the roof and shouting for Crunchnar to get them moving. The carriage lurched into motion as the horses bolted. Trees became a blur of darkness outside the window. Tacenda felt every dip and rock in the road, the carriage rattling something terrible at this speed. Miss Highwater, which peasant is in charge of grading this roadway? Should we happen to survive, I would like to have them flogged. Well, you remember that meeting we had about tax revenue allocations for maintenance of infrastructure? No, but it sounds boring. You- Let's just compromise and agree it's Crunchnar's fault. Tacenda stuck her head out the other window and looked back along the roadway. Wind blew at her hair, whipping it. The whisperers gave chase. Their phantom light rolled over tree trunks and undergrowth, obstructions that the spirits ignored. They coursed after the carriage at a remarkable speed, and even over the rattling of the carriage she heard their voices, hushed whispers overlapping one another. Those are the people of my village, taken by some force and maybe to geists. Was her sister's soul among them then, twisted beyond recognition? Had Willia come with the others and claimed the living of Verlassen while Tacenda played her fingers raw? Miss Verlassen? Tacenda pulled her head back into the carriage as Davriel picked up her vial and handed it to her. Perhaps a song might be in order? It doesn't work on the Whisperers! That's the problem that started all of this! She took the vial in limp hands. They are constructs of the power you hold. There is an entity inside you that powers your songs. That strength should be able to control them somehow. You said yourself that I only have a part of the power. Something stronger than me is behind this. He gritted his teeth, bracing himself as they turned a somewhat sharp corner. Earlier, you told me that you knew what had frightened the entity of the bog. You said the word faith. Why? I don't know. It just felt right. That is not an acceptable answer. He braced himself again on the side of the carriage as they took a corner. This time it was an even sharper turn, and Descenda was smashed into the wood, grunting. A moment later they turned the other direction, and she slid across the seat and smashed into Miss Highwater. That fool is going to run us into a tree at this speed. A green light shone out. Descenda spotted ghostly visages in the woods, making pace with the carriage. They were fast. Crunchnar didn't have much choice. Either he took the winding turns of this forest path at dangerous speeds, or he let the geists catch them. Indeed, he'd have to speed up as the whisperers were. 
Jacinta slammed into the wall as they took another corner. Davriel growled and gripped the door handle. Too sharp! We're going to- Something snapped underneath the carriage. The vehicle tipped. At that very moment, Davriel flung open the door. To send a lost track of him as she felt a stomach-churning sensation. Then a sudden jolt as the vehicle tipped onto its side. To send a tumble from the carriage, frantically trying to protect her rival. Miss Highwater slid down on top of her and went. The vehicle ground against the roadway, dragged briefly on its side, dirt and underbrush spraying through the window across to Senda. At last, the carriage slid to a halt. To Senda groaned, trying to untangle herself from Miss Highwater, who was cursing softly under her breath. Outside, the horses whinnied and snorted in anxiety, and she thought she heard Crunchnar trying to calm them. Miss Highwater managed to stand, and then she grabbed the doorway above them. Since the carriage had come to rest on its side, one door was down beneath them, the other above. There was no sign of Davriel, though Tessenda thought she had glimpsed him leaping out of the vehicle mid-tip. Tessenda groaned and checked her vial. Remarkably, the instrument was in one piece. She cradled the vial as she climbed up on the sideways seat and then, with effort, pulled herself out onto what was now the top of the carriage. She was covered in dirt, her hair a tangled mess, and Miss Highwater looked little better. Davriel had landed without apparent injury. He stood in the center of the roadway and, with a flourish, pulled on his long cloak. He looked remarkably self-possessed as he turned around, regarding the approaching whisperers. His eyes bled to a pure white, his lips drawn as if in pain, and a flash of power exploded from him. A bright flash almost blinded her in the night, and it made the whisperers slow their approach. They circled the fallen carriage, twisted faces murmuring in an agitated way. They seemed to be wary of Davriel all of a sudden. The Prioress's power. He can anchor those geists, force them to be corporeal. Ridiculous though the emotion was at a time like this, Tacenda found herself angry at the Lord. It was distinctly unfair that he had been able to escape without getting tangled up or covered in dirt. How was it that this man managed to appear so composed all the time, despite being so useless? Miss Highwater, unhook the horses and try to control them. Crunchnar, your sword will likely be required. The large demon grunted and stepped over to Davriel, eyeing the spirits. Judging from the fresh scrapes on his arm, Crunchnar had fallen when the carriage crashed. Miss Highwater did as commanded, leaping down from the carriage and making calming noises toward the horses, which were tangled in their twisted bridles. Descenda stayed in place atop the carriage, which seemed the safest spot for her. At first, the whispers left a ring of about twenty feet between themselves and the carriage, and then one tested forward. This act seemed to give the others permission as they broke toward Davriel in a mass. Those terrible whispers accompanied them, a maddening sound so close to being understandable. She searched those twisted faces for signs of something she recognized. If these really were her friends and neighbors, shouldn't she be able to tell? Unfortunately, the faces were so distorted they were barely recognizable as humans. Crunchnar began swinging about him like a drummer, slamming the sword down onto spirit after spirit. 
Navriel's spell had made them physical, and the weapon disrupted them, making their bodies puff and dissolve to green smoke that pooled to the ground, rather than evaporating away. Tesenda felt a hint of worry. These were the souls of people she loved. Would these attacks hurt them permanently? Hopefully, the fact that the smoke pooled on the ground and lingered indicated that they weren't being destroyed completely. Miss Highwater frantically cut the horses free of their tangled harnesses. Davriel held his hand to the side to summon a weapon. The vial disappeared from Tessenda's hands. She yelped in surprise as it reformed in Davriel's outstretched hand, which he then thrust toward a spirit. Halfway through the maneuver, he seemed to realize he wasn't holding a sword. He froze and then shot Tessenda a withering look, as if it were somehow her fault that he'd touched her vial earlier. He tossed the vial aside, causing her to cry out atop the carriage. But then she gasped as Davriel was surrounded by glowing green figures. They clawed at him, but instead of marring his skin, their fingers sank into his face. He went rigid, others holding his arms in his cloak. Horrified, Tessenda watched as a green light began to bleed from Davriel's face. They're trying to pull his soul from his body! For a moment, she was back in the village, screaming into the second darkness and the terrible whispering, listening as the people she loved were taken one at a time, listening as... No! Tessenda threw herself off the top of the carriage and landed on the soft earth beside the road. She had no weapon other than her voice, so she started belting out the warding song. Crunchnar roared in pain, but the whisperers, as always, ignored it. Frustrated, she stopped singing, and instead seized a sharp stone from the ground. She used it as a bludgeon, slamming it into the back of a glowing green figure, trying frantically to fight her way to Davriel. She had little effect. The spirits didn't even seem to notice her there. Not him too! He's the only hope I have! She felled the spirit in front of her, its form melting away to dark green smoke, but others pressed in and the whispers surrounded her. She thrashed, trying to fight through, and again she felt helpless. Spirits didn't attack her, but they would take everyone around her. Everyone she'd ever loved or even come to know, leaving her alone in the infinite, pure blackness. A blast of light walked through, a blue wall of force dissolving spirits in a ring. She stumbled to a stop, rock clutched in her fingers, to find Davriel crouching at the center. He stood up, blue smoke coloring his eyes. As another spirit came in, its head at a crooked angle, its gaping mouth as long as its forearm, Davriel raised his hand and released a blast of blue light. How? I saw them taking your soul! The ward I took from your mind acted as a shield for my soul once I activated it. Though his voice was calm, his face had gone pale and he was shaking. That done, it was a simple matter to use the dismissal spell I'd taken from those hunters. He wiped his brow with a trembling hand. You were worried for me, foolish child. I was, of course, never in any danger. He glanced down toward the flowing green smoke. A head stretched from it, with a twisted, two-wide mouth. Hands reached up, reforming. Hellfire. He sent out a ring of blue light as he dismissed the spirits again. This flash seemed smaller than his previous uses, and the geists almost immediately started reforming from the ground. 
useless idiot hunters. I've seen devils with more efficient magic. Go, get the horses. He shoved Tessenda toward the carriage, and she moved up beside the vehicle, pressing her back to it as Davriel sent a blast of light to aid Crunchnar. A tall demon had no soul to lose, and the spirits weren't pulling green light from him. But they were clawing at him, scratching his arms and trying to force him down to the ground. Davriel's blasts incapacitated many of the whisperers, though stragglers were floating in from the forest. Tessenda started, realizing that a few of these had stopped at the edge of the roadway where they were looking at her. Two long heads twisted in strange angles on their shoulders as they regarded her. And then one raised its hand, pointing. She felt a tremor inside. These newcomers were able to see her? What had changed? Davriel! She backed along the fallen carriage near the wheels. Miss Highwater! She held out her rock in a threatening manner. The geists stopped in place. They were... They were frightened of her rock? No. It was the necklace she'd wrapped around her wrist earlier. The geists stared at it. While three just stood there, the last one changed, the eyes shrinking toward more normal human sizes. Its quivering form stabilized, and the face almost became human, recognizable. It backed away, putting its hands to its face. Miss Highwater leaped between Tessenda and the Geiss, slamming her knife into the side of a spirit's head, causing it to stumble and start to disintegrate. She pulled Tessenda toward a skittish horse with a simple bridle, cut from the carriage harnesses. On. You can ride? Yes. My father taught me in the evenings after- Less storytelling, more getting the hell out of here. Dab, we're ready! He emerged from the other side of the fallen carriage, looking somewhat haggard as he blasted the pair of geists who had been looking at Tessenda. The one whose face had momentarily started to reform wasn't among those. It had trailed away into the forest. She could pick out its green lights moving among the trees. Crunchnar, bleeding from cuts along his arms, heaved himself onto a horse's back and kicked the poor thing forward. The animal held him, barely. Miss Highwater held the reins of another horse for Davriel as he prepared to climb onto its back. Davriel! Something is odd about one of those spirits! Tessenda left her horse and grabbed his arm. Which one? He immediately scanned the area. His spell and Crunchnar's sword had left most of the Whisperers formless, but the coating of green smoke on the ground trembled, hands and faces reforming. Tessenda pointed out into the forest. A group of them came after me, the only ones who have ever tried to attack me. But when they saw the symbol of the Nameless Angel, they stopped. One ran out into the forest. Davriel frowned. Miss Highwater, keep the horses ready. I'll return shortly. He then strode out into the forest. Tessenda hesitated, and then ran after him. What? Are you insane? Moving through the forest at night was difficult. There always seemed to be some unseen branch clawing at her dress, or some pitfall where the ground was a foot below where she expected it. The first darkness soon surrounded them, but Davriel summoned a light in the form of a small flame from his finger the last remaining bit of his pyromancy. She kept up with him, chasing down the glowing green light, which had stopped moving. They came upon the geist, who knelt beside a tree, head bowed. 
It had started to fuzz again, its shape distorting. The symbol. Davriel waved his free hand toward Descenda. She unwrapped Willia's necklace from her wrist and handed it to him. Davriel stepped around the geist and presented it. The thing looked up, fixating on the symbol, the shape of spreading wings. Is it the power of the church? No, it's the power of familiarity. Remember what I told you? Spirits such as these can sometimes be recovered through a reminder of something they knew in life. The geist reached out reverent fingers and touched the symbol of the nameless angel. The face faded from monstrous to human. Agonized human. Though it could shed no tears, this thing was weeping. It... It was Rom. The old hunter-turned-gardener was a geist now? But how? He wasn't from the village. What? What have you done to me, my lord? What do you remember? The last thing you recall? I saw you off into the night. I was tired and returned to my room to sleep. I couldn't, like usual. Remembering all those that I've killed. Oh, Angel, I thought I'd find peace here, but now, never peace. Why is a priest a whisperer? What is happening? The Priory has been attacked since we left. The souls of the priests made into geists. I worry that whoever is behind this realized that the spirits of your village wouldn't harm you. So they have begun seeking the souls of people untouched by the bog. He dropped the symbol. Apparently, the angel was no help to them. I saw her. When I first got here, that's why, why they asked me to come. She'd gone mad like the others. The spirit bowed its head, weeping softly. Rom? Something happened a little under twenty years ago, at the bog. The entity within it fled for some reason. Twenty years ago? I wasn't even here then. I was killing demons. Davriel, a little under twenty years? We know something that happened. Fifteen years ago. She gestured to herself. I was born. Davriel frowned at the words, then glanced back toward the road, where the army of spirits had reformed. They were now flowing out into the woods. Come! He quickly started through the underbrush, away from the geists. She reached toward Rom, but the quivering spirit was beginning to distort again, muttering about his murders. Feeling a chill, Descenda scrambled after Davriel. She pushed through the underbrush, stumbling practically on hands and knees. Your warding power isn't simply the strongest it's been in generations. The entity of the bog moved into you and your sister. What was left of it, at least. It was afraid, perhaps being whittled away by something. Descenda grunted as she pulled herself over a log. The church! Don't you see? The prioress arrived some two decades ago, and the priests arrived in force. Souls began being converted, and they gave themselves to the angel instead of the bog, the seal and stone. 
The ceiling stone is a trinket with a fifth-rate glamour charm on it, good only for wowing peasants. It stills souls, but otherwise... He stopped in the forest just ahead of her. She looked over her shoulder, feeling cold as the green lights of approaching geists flowed toward them. You told me that the bog's power had seeped into the souls of the people here. What would have happened to that power when the people died? I'd guess that normally it would have returned to the bog. Unless some device, some magical trinket, was collecting those souls instead. Might it have begun gathering the strength of the bog, siphoning it off? So the strength of the entity in the bog shrank until it grew desperate enough to try something new? To pull the rest of itself out and seek a host? Two hosts? By accident. It sought the womb, a child being born, but ended up split between twin sisters. Whoever's behind this must have realized the source of your power and killed your sister for her half. But it couldn't touch you. Why? Behind, the spirits coursed around the kneeling Rom, who held the symbol of the nameless angel in his fingers. To send a thought, she saw him drop the necklace and rise, his face distorting fully. Come. Davriel pulled her along with him. They emerged into open air, reaching the roadway. It wove a winding course here, and they'd cut through the forest to emerge into another section of it. We should return to the mansion. The power. The rest of this entity that lives inside me. It's at the Priory, inside the stone. It was at the Priory. Someone has obviously claimed it. His expression darkened in the moonlight. I swear, if I've somehow been played by the Prioress after all. Tisenda glanced back at the forest. Those spirits were coming faster and faster. They're speeding up. We have to try to outrun them. Miss Verlassen, run? Me? She took him by the arm, but he remained steady. What was he waiting for? As she was about to begin running along the road, she heard the beating of hooves. A moment later, Miss Highwater tore around the curve up ahead, riding bareback on one of the horses. Visible by the light of the lantern she carried in one hand, she appeared to have slit her skirt up the front and back for riding. She led two other horses behind her on a rope, and was trailed by Crunchnar on his beleaguered animal, which seemed a pony by comparison. Miss Highwater pulled her horse to a skittish halt near Davriel. Excellent timing! And with proper flair, too! I'm charging you for this skirt. You're lucky we rode off to try to intercept you on the other side here. Crunchnar wanted to wait like you'd ordered. Tisenda eagerly scrambled up onto one of the horses, taking little notice of the lack of a saddle. What made you decide to come for us instead? If my years of service have taught me one thing, it's to never count on Davriel to be on time for an appointment without my help. She turned her horse, fighting to keep the feisty beast under control. She appeared to have picked the most difficult of the animals for herself. Davriel's stately black mare stood placidly as he hauled himself up. On toward the mansion? Miss Highwater nodded along the road in the direction opposite the spirits, which were beginning to flood out of the forest. No. Back the way we came, to the Priory. But... He kicked his horse forward, straight toward the mass of geists, and Descenda joined him. Miss Highwater cursed loudly, 
then followed, as did Crunchnar, whose horse was making an incredible effort not to collapse under his bulk. As they reached the spirits, Davriel let out a blast of blue light. This time, it made only the very closest of the spirits disintegrate. Fortunately, the others did waver for a moment, as if stunned. Tessenda and the others entered the mass. She was sure she felt the touch of ghostly fingers brush the skin of her legs. Their ice seemed to reach her very core, chilling a part of her that hitherto had always known only warmth. And then she was out of it, thundering after Davriel, clinging to her horse. She didn't have to do much. She gave the beast free rein and tried to hang on with her knees. It had taken well over an hour for them to reach the bog from the priory, but they'd stopped for Davriel's nap during that, and had ridden the rest of the way at a leisurely carriage pace. Their return took a fraction of the time. The ride worked each poor horse into a lather, but never once did Tessenda have to urge her mount forward. The whispering spirits chased them the whole way, and it seemed that, no matter how hard the horses ran, the geists were always just behind, flowing through the forest, staying out of reach, to the point that Tessenda worried that she was being herded in this direction. They eventually galloped from the forest onto the priory grounds. A suddenly open sky presented a field of stars. The moon had begun to set. That struck a sudden note of terror within Tessenda. She looked over her shoulder, past the ghosts, toward the eastern sky. The horizon was obscured by the trees as always, but she did see a faint glow heralding dawn. They'd been about their investigation all night. Soon, when the sun rose, Tessenda would become blind again. She turned back around, trying to wrestle control of her horse as they neared the priory. Only then did she notice that all of the windows were dark. The bonfires and lanterns at the perimeter had gone out, and not a single candle seemed lit anywhere in the building. Miss Highwater got her horse to stop, then climbed down. Davriel didn't bother with any of that. He just stepped off the horse and hit the ground, skidding to a halt. How in Avison's name did he manage that without tripping? Descenda was far less skillful as she accidentally made her horse rear as it pulled up. She slipped off in a half-intentional attempt at dismounting and hit the soft ground in a heap. Crunchnar arrived last of all, his horse barely at a trot. He stepped free, grumbling quietly about his hatred of horses, though the poor animal had been the one to suffer. It, like the others, took off in a sweaty canter as the glowing line of spirits coursed out of the forest. Instead of advancing, the whispers spread out, making a ring around the clearing. We're going to be trapped here. Have I led us to our deaths? Davriel let the horses go without a second glance. Perhaps he knew that after such a hard ride, they'd be too exhausted to carry riders further. The poor animals would be lucky if they survived the night. As will we. Crunchnar led the way into the priory, sword out, carefully checking one way and then the other. Davriel followed, and then Miss Highwater with her single lantern. The hallway was dark, empty, but two corpses lay just inside. Church guards, fallen where they had stood, eyes opened and mouths frozen mid-scream. They looked just like the first victims of the whispers that the village had found. 
Navriel nodded to the right, and Crenchnar led the way, stepping with a silence that seemed at odds with his stature. As Highwater slipped a few half-melted candles off a windowsill, and then lit them on the lantern. Descenda took one, though the quivering light it provided seemed a frail thing. They passed a couple more bodies, servant youths who were priests in training, though most here had probably been in bed when they'd been taken. Descenda's heart thundered in her ears, and she felt anxious at walking so slowly after their rush to arrive. A glance out the window showed the geists approaching the priory, surrounding it in an increasingly tighter ring. Crenchnar repeated the point in the hallway where Davriel's disturbing runes covered the walls, and then eased open the door to the prioress's office. They found the elderly woman's body slumped at its desk, frozen like the others. It might have been easier if she was behind it, as I leached her powers away earlier. Tisenda shivered, looking around the darkened hallway. Would the soldiers here have been able to fight back if Davriel hadn't stolen the Prioress's abilities? What now? As if in response to her question, a faint vibration struck the building, thrumming through the stones. Something about it. There was a tone to the sound. As if it was part of a song to send a new. Down. Davriel turned and led the way toward the stairs into the catacombs. They reached the stone steps, a hollow tunneling down into the earth. The shape of it from the landing looked reminiscent of the way the mouths of the spirits had twisted when screaming. I inspected the sealing stone soon after arriving in this land. Davriel started down the steps. I recognize the wards it had on it, but I sense no well of power, as you describe, Miss Verlassen. Still, I believe you must be right on some points. The Barg entity sought a host in you after being threatened over time by the church's expansion here. But as it was split by the birth of twins, the entity was not complete, and therefore cannot communicate with you. The entities can affect one's senses, however, which could alone be the explanation for why you are sometimes blind. Perhaps it is trying and failing to override your vision as a way to communicate. I cannot explain why the loss would be so regular. How do you know so much about it? Let's just say I have encountered a similar circumstance myself. I... He trailed off, stopping in the stairwell, cocking his head. Tisenda looked up past the two demons. Whispers. She could hear them echoing above, soft but haunting. The geists had entered the priory. Davriel continued downward, and Tisenda gave chase, holding up her candle and shielding it with her hand from the wind of their quick descent. Our focus must be on your talents. Though shrouded in superstition, there is likely a seed of truth in the stories your people tell of this nameless angel. I can only assume that I missed something about that stone. They reached the catacombs, and Davriel opened the door without needing to be told where to push. He turned right, following the winding path toward the room with the sealing stone. Soon, Tisenda spotted its glowing walls and ceiling, lighting the way. They stepped into the room where the stone lay, undisturbed on its pedestal. Someone else sat at the back of the room, staring at the stone with its swirling colors. A young woman with golden hair and pale skin. 
Willia. Willia! Willia was alive! Tessenda tried to rush into the room to embrace her sister, but Davriel seized her by the shoulder, his grip strong and firm, and something was wrong with Willia. The way she glowed, the power Tessenda felt emanating from her. She wasn't a geist, she... she was the one controlling them. Willia? What have you done? Willia stood up, wearing her white burial dress. They put me down here, you know. Guarding the stone is one of the duties they give the new acolytes. I made them give me duty during the days, because I didn't want to be down in this place of death when the pure darkness took me. You know that darkness, don't you, Tessenda? Willia stared into the stone's shifting light. It spoke to me told me of power that I held, that we held, power to stop the darkness. I just had to make it whole, find the other pieces scattered through the people of the approaches, each one with a little sliver. That sweet voice was so familiar, and yet the edge to it, the rawness, was so terribly wrong. Willia, what did you do to our parents? Willia finally looked up at her. And she could see. It was night, but she could see. For the first time in her life, Tessenda looked into her sister's eyes, and Willia looked back. I didn't mean to take them, Tessenda. They were carrying offerings to the bog, what I thought was a false god. I yelled and argued, but I didn't mean to kill them. But the power I'd taken from the stone, it combined with my power and cried out for more. In the end, I let it loose on them, and and it just happened. You killed them! Not killed. Reclaimed. Willia stepped forward, the sealing stone's shifting colors reflected in her eyes. At first, I thought the voice in the sealing stone was her, you know? The angel? I thought she was the one whispering to me. I didn't know then that she was already dead. Crunchnar slipped carefully into the room. Davriel kept hold of Descenda, blocking the way out of the small chamber, Miss Highwater standing just behind him. Descenda's worry spiked as she noted Crunchnar easing his sword from its sheath. No! Stop! Willia, Lord Cain can restore the souls to their bodies if you release them. It's going to be alright, we can fix this! You assume I want to. Willia eyed Crunchnar then tipped the sealing stone off its pedestal, sending it to the ground where it smashed apart. I don't have to hide from the darkness anymore, Tessenda. I don't have to cower behind your song. She raised her hands, and a deep, powerful glow began to rise within her. It is time that the darkness feared me. Davriel had heard enough. He struck, piercing the young woman's mind, digging for her talent. Perhaps she was new enough to her power that he could reach inside, pluck the entity she held, and... Davriel slammed into something, an impossible force, even more vast than what he'd found in Tessenda. Willia rebuffed Davriel with an almost indifferent stroke. He was forced back into his own mind with a grunt, a terrible headache stabbing him right behind his eyes. 
And then, Willia released a column of green-white energy, so brilliant it painted the walls of the room iridescent. No! Davriel summoned the remnants of the power he'd taken from Tessenda, the protection wound. Pain split his head as he used it, raising the power like a shield. The glowing green barrier he created blocked Willia's incredible bolt of light, forming a bubble of safety in which Davriel sheltered the surprised Miss Highwater. Crunchnar, however, was vaporized in the blink of an eye. The demon sword, which he'd been raising to strike at Willia, clanged to the floor. Descenda screamed and fell to her knees, but this power was like a condensed, raw version of her warding song. It wouldn't harm a human like her. Bits of ash from Crunchnar's corpse blew around Davriel, who grunted, holding his protective ward firm. The warding light beat against his shield like a physical force, spraying around him like a river, filling the corridor behind him. Only the little space just behind him was safe from it. Hellfire! Miss Highwater pulled against him as her finger touched the flow of light and was burned. Dav? I believe I may have misjudged our opponent's strength. He stumbled beneath the force of the warding light. His shield was made of the same power, but was far, far weaker. Here we are at last. The fight as I promised you. Here we prove ourselves and claim a second strength as our own. Davriel grunted, sweat streaming down the sides of his face as he squeezed every ounce of strength from the shielding ward wasn't going to be enough. He could see that easily. Use me. Use me now, as you did once before. No! Why, why do you resist? This is your moment. Seize it. Davriel turned with effort to regard Miss Highwater. She huddled close to him as his magic shield frayed. The two of them stood in the doorway into the room, the corridor behind them completely flooded with light. There was nowhere for her to run. If he let the shield fall, she'd be vaporized. I still have the dismissal spell. A little of it. It should work on you as a creature of magic. I... She looked at his green shield of force, which was crumbling at the edges. You should reform like the Geists. The dismissal was a temporary effect for them. He looked into her deep red eyes, sweat dripping down his face. It's all I have. She nodded. Do it. He prepared the spell, the power gathering, the room tinting blue as his eyes flooded with it. Miss Highwater grabbed his shirt just beneath the collar, and then pulled her face up close to his. Don't you die, Davriel Kane. I'm not done with you yet. He smiled, then grunted again beneath the force. Uh, Remember, I wanted to stay inside for the evening. He used the dismissal spell. A piece of him cracked as her gray skin melted away to black smoke, her ledger dropping to the ground as she vanished. Davriel screamed as his ward shattered, then light washed over him blinded him, tugging faintly at his soul like a child pulling on his cloak. But it didn't harm him. He was, even still, human. 
The light finally faded, but left him blind. Davriel stumbled to his feet, turning, blinking, and trying to recover his vision. Seeing only white, he activated his weapon-summoning spell to at least have a sword. The object that formed in his hand, however, was of an awkward, wooden shape. Oh, the blasted vial again. Hellfire! Why did the magic consider it a weapon? Willia didn't attack him in his moment of weakness, though he heard her whispering. Orders? Distant whispers sounded in the catacomb halls, echoing her voice. She was bringing those geists down for him. As proven with the priests, they could claim souls of outsiders as easily as they did approachers. With the entity powering such abilities, how long would it be before this entire plane was occupied with nothing more than terrible green spirits whispering to one another? You will never defeat another entity on your own. She will destroy you unless you destroy her first and take the power for yourself. A hand grasped Davriel's. This way! Tessenda. In the moment, he'd almost forgotten about her. The young woman towed him away from the room and, still blinded by the light, he turned and fled with her. Morning arrived as Tessenda led Davriel away from the room, and with the coming sun, her sight already fuzzy from the flash that Willia had released, slipped away. The second darkness descended, and she found herself moving down the hallway by touch, pulling Davriel after her. Willia's footsteps followed. I should have been strong enough to kill you myself. I didn't have trouble stabbing the priest, so my spirit kid entered the church. Afterward, I stood behind you in the village, knife in hand. I heard you begin singing. I have always loved that song, Tessenda. Tessenda pulled herself along, feeling with one hand at the wall's crypts, leading Davriel with the other. Smooth, polished stone, cold beneath her fingers, tomb after tomb. Willia! This is insane! You're not like this! What am I like, Tessenda? Am I the confident girl that everyone saw? Or am I the terrified one you saw? The one who knew that every night the darkness would come for her again? No, Willia! Tessenda reached an intersection in the catacombs. The stairs were to the left, but whispers came from that direction. She turned in the darkness toward Willia's voice. Please! This is what we were always meant to be, Tessenda. We two are one soul, and our power... It was always only a part of what it could have been. I needed the souls of the others to put back together the pieces of the Entity. I needn't feel bad for doing that. It was inevitable. The Entity's destiny was to become whole again. And the priests? What is your excuse for killing them? Silence, other than Davriel pulling up beside her, and then cursing under his breath. He seemed to be getting his sight back. At least, he started toward the stairs, but then stopped, as if he'd seen the geists in that direction. I won't be weak again, Tessenda. Each bit I claim gives me more light. Right now, I'm blind for only a few hours around midnight. If I put the entity back together, I'll be whole. I'll never have to be trapped in that terrible, unbearable darkness again. That harshness seemed so strange to hear in her sister's voice. Come. Davriel pulled her by her hand away from the approaching whisperers. 
Tessender resisted. Surely she could make Willia see. Surely. I know that tone of voice. She's listened to the Entity's promises for long enough to start believing them. Come! Tessender relented, letting him pull her down a side corridor of the catacombs. It was hopeless. The whispers would flood the area. Soon, she and Davriel would join that terrible, whispering throng. Still, she followed in darkness. And as she did, she thought she... heard something over the whispers. A song that seemed at once distant and close. Something she knew, somehow, that she could only hear while within the second darkness. Distant because of its ephemeral, out-of-reach softness. Close because it pierced through all other sounds and made something stir within her. What was that song? Davriel hastened down the corridor, pulling Tessenda with him. His eyesight had recovered, but Tessenda's curse had obviously taken her. Fool man, you should have seen this outcome. He'd recognized that Tessenda's power should have let her influence the Geists, but he hadn't put together that the supposedly dead twin would be in an even better position to do so. Perhaps it had begun as innocently as she insisted, killing her parents by accident. And then she'd needed a scapegoat for her murders. And who better than the man of the manor? She could have stopped at that, and likely no one would have ever known. But the entity whispered that she needed more. And so, the attack on the merchants, witnessed by the priests. Had she arranged for him to be there, to corroborate her story that Davriel was the culprit? In any case, he should have seen. Someone had stitched a costume to imitate him, and he hadn't wondered if it might be the daughter of the village tailors? Davriel! Look for murals on the walls. Rom said that some of them lead to hidden exits out of the catacombs. There was one in the room with a seal and stone. He pulled up short as green lights lit the other end of the corridor. Hellfire. They were this direction, too? He turned, pulling Tessenda down a side hallway. Use me. It is beyond time. He ignored the entity, instead searching through his resources. He didn't have much left. The pyromancy was gone, as was the dismissal spell. The weapon summoning spell lingered, but would be useless, as would the silly spell for making ink appear on a page. Otherwise, the remnant of the Prioress's power was the only thing he had left. Well, that and his last resort. His ability to leave a plane and walk the blind eternities to another realm. He could take nothing with him, however, and in so doing would abandon everything he'd built here. You would run as a coward before using me? Why? He risked a glance over his shoulder. Sickly green geists flowed in and out of the walls, moving toward him. The young woman, Tessenda's sister, stood at the far back of their ranks, just a shadow. Right. His only chance was to find a way out of this maze and flee to the manor and gather reinforcements. To that end, he thrust his hand forward, braced himself for the awful pain, and used the Prioress's talent to force the Geist to remain corporeal. A flash of light left him, traveling through the entire catacombs. 
The whispers quivered as the power forced them out of walls and into the corridor where, suddenly physical, they collided with one another and clogged the way forward. Their mouths twisted in terrible ways, though they didn't scream or moan, just uttered those whispers. A few of the geists at the front escaped the clog, so Davriel grabbed to send his hand again, leading her down another corridor lined with grave markers on the walls. The way was lit by candles, which were burning low now that the priory's tenders had fallen. He pulled Descenda into a nook and hissed at her to be quiet, and then used the ink spell, painting a wall with darkness to look like shadows, extending farther down the corridor just to the right. He held his breath, waiting as the geist drew near. Thankfully, they took the bait and flowed away, chasing toward the shadows. He pulled Tessenda by her hand out of the nook and headed to the right, hoping his path would wrap around toward the room with the sealing stone. Awful whispers echoed through the tunnels, seeming to come from all directions. William will know about the secret exits. That must be how she got in and out after they brought her body here. Be careful. Davriel peeked around the corner. She's posted geists to stop us from going this way. Any thoughts on how to get around them? No. Could she have really done these terrible things? She... She faked her death, didn't she? She pretended to have been taken by the Whisperers. Maybe so suspicion wouldn't fall upon her. She knew they'd bring her to the Priory instead of returning her to the Bog. But how did she fool us? Intentional Dustwell overdose, I'd suspect. The leaves are a sedative. Eat them in their strength, and it will induce a catatonic state. It happens sometimes to the farmers, he was told. Davriel turned and pulled her toward another tunnel, but she tugged back. Do you hear that song? No, I only hear the geists. He pulled her forcibly after him, around another corner, then pulled to a halt. Green light illuminated geists flowing toward him from that direction. Right. He dashed back the way they'd come, turning another corner, then pulled to a stop there as well. A tall figure stood at the end of that tunnel, blocking the way to the stairs, lit from the sides by green, whispering spirits. He was tempted to try rushing her. She was just a girl of fifteen, but he recognized that glinting light reflected in her eyes. Power. Unimaginable power. Even if he could reach her through the geist, the entity inside her would protect her from simple physical wounds. What would you do to know that you'd never again be afraid? To know that you'd never again be hunted? To forever banish the things that scratched at your door at night? To, for once, rule instead of being ruled? Davriel smelled blood and smoke. I know how you feel, but there is always a price. Sometimes it's too high to pay. That's simple economics. It is time. Why do you hesitate? Willia gestured, and the geist flowed down the corridor. Careful, this time, not to trip one another. Davriel moved to run to the left, but Descenda pulled on his hand toward a different corridor. No, this way, toward the song. That's a dead end. We visited that chamber earlier tonight. It had a Merle. Maybe a way out? She pulled out of his grip and ran that way. As Geist flooded down the corridor, Davriel cursed and reluctantly followed. 
rough stone under her fingers, cool, dusty air, the second darkness swallowing her, and a song, a sweet, beautiful, mournful song. Tessenda felt the tunnel end at an open room, circular. She remembered this place. It was where they kept the bodies awaiting burial. Trembling, she felt around the room until she reached the empty slab where her sister had once lain. At that moment, Tessenda finally accepted what had happened. Her sister was a murderer. Poor Willia. Terrified of the second darkness, she'd hid from it until, at long last, it had claimed her as its own. Just not in the way either of them had feared. Can you open the secret tunnel? That melody, so haunting. The song was closer now. Tessenda felt around the room until she touched a carved portion of the back wall, a relief depicting the nameless angel. The man of the manor. Tessenda thought that she was approaching down the tunnel that led to this room. Whispers walked with her, their voices overlapping. Your reputation proved helpful. Everyone was so eager to believe you were a murderer. Let's make a deal, child. I won't insult you with an offer of riches, but I am worth more than simple Luca. Let me live. I can tell you so many things about that voice inside your head. It said you'd try to deal, but it also told me that you hold something I need. Something that will make me so strong, nobody will ever again be able to challenge me. Descenda felt at the carving, following the contours of the stone. She felt to the angel's hand, which held a carved version of the sealant stone. There. That was the button. You kill your own sister? Truly, are you that heartless? Willia was silent for a moment. Descenda could hear her breath, which had a ragged edge. She was close, perhaps standing in the tunnel outside the chamber. Descenda has always had the voice of an angel. And do you know what the angels did to us, man of the manor? The same thing every lord, devil, and demon in this land has done. They bled us. So we bled them back. Tessenda pressed the carving in just the right way, as she'd seen wrong. The wall clicked, and her weight caused it to inch open, stone grinding on stone. She pushed into the hidden chamber, the source of the song. <gasps> what? What do you see? It's her. It was an angel, with its wings nailed to the wall. A beautiful yet otherworldly figure of pale selenic skin and gossamer hair. Clad in a red and white robe, she slumped on the floor of the otherwise dull chamber. Colorful against the gray, like a rose on a grave. Her head bowed, her wings were spread behind her like battle banners unfurled, but they'd been pierced by thick iron spikes that had been pounded directly into cracks in the stone wall. Transfixed, Tavriel forgot the geists, the pain of his compounding headaches, anger, frustration, even a hint of fear, each bled away 
before this incredible sight. The nameless angel. She was real. She was here. She was entrancing. And she was dead. The figure didn't stir as Tessenda felt her way into the room, and then knelt. She reached out, caressing the angel's doll-like face, and then cupped it and lifted it in her hands, feeling at the skin. Since the girl's eyesight was gone, she didn't seem to notice that the angel's throat had been slit. That robe must once have been pure white. The scarlet coloring was blood. What an incredible waste. What an injustice that something so beautiful had been ruined here in this crude prison. This was a place where men died. Something this heavenly should not have been forced to suffer such a mundane fate. Fool, man. Your mortality betrays you. This thing wasn't pure or grand or innately good. It was simply created to evoke those emotions in you. In any case, this was no secret passage out. The hidden stone door that Descenda opened looked in only at this small box of a prison. He turned back toward Willia. The young woman stood in the doorway to the small funeral chamber, glowing green spirits gathering around her to light the hallway behind. Candles flickered in their alcoves, casting an inconsistent glow over the bodies of the newly dead who awaited burial. Willia stared past him, toward the angel. She doesn't decompose. Nobody knows why. The blood stays wet all these months. They made Rom do it, you know? They had locked her away when the madness struck her. And Rom... He came to the Priory to escape the blood, but as soon as he got here, they made him kill our god. She looked up, haunted, meeting Davriel's eyes. I came back here. After that first time, I... I used the power. After I took my parents. I didn't say what I'd done, but I begged for the priests to promise me. Promise me that the angel was real. They gave me false assurances, but Rom, I don't think he could bear it. He brought me down here and showed me, and that's when I knew, nobody can protect me. I have to do it myself. The entity will consume you. It will feed your powers until they destroy everything you've ever loved. I don't care. I know you don't right now, but you will. Willia pointed, and the geists who had stopped outside near her flooded into the room toward Davriel. Hellfire. What did he have left? The spell to summon a weapon? Useless. To send his warding power? Only a sliver of it remained. The ink spell? He could write out his last testament on the walls as his spirit was ripped from his body. He had only two cards left to play. The entity? And the power to leave. Davriel moved backward, soon bumping into Descenda, who had still knelt before the dead angel. She was crying softly, a mournful song leaving her lips. A part of Davriel knew he had to run, leave this plane, slip through the blind eternities, escape. Deep down, he knew that this last ability he had was the source of his confidence. 
If things got too bad, he could always run. You... You really are just a coward. I thought when you fled before, it was wisdom. You saw that the ones hunting you were too powerful. But now... Now you could have enough strength to defeat them, if you wanted. And still, you think of fleeing. Davriel gathered his concentration and, pushing aside both the entity and the thoughts of fleeing, slammed his will into Willia's mind. He imagined his strength as a sword piercing her skull. Willia grunted, stumbling back. Her control slipped. She was untrained, unpracticed. So for just a moment, Davriel touched the power lurking within her. Hellfire! Davriel's mind had expanded like an explosion. In the blink of an eye, he saw a hundred different planes. He saw millions of people living and loving and eating and sleeping and breathing and dying and never knowing just how tiny they were. The same thing had happened to him when he'd first touched the Entity all those years ago. Most people were so, so insignificant. But some, some individuals moved worlds. Some individuals created worlds. He wanted so desperately to be one of those. A person who controlled fate rather than living by it. It was the great contradiction of his life. Perhaps every life. He acknowledged that the world worked by incentives. At their core, people were creatures of instinct. Yet Davriel wanted to believe he was different. His control slipped. He was too tired, and the power inside Willia was too vast. Unless he used his entity, he would never be able to defeat it. Davriel was forced back, and awareness of the room returned. The geists surrounded him. They clawed at him, their icy hands sinking into his skin, brushing his soul. Davriel groaned, sagging, held up by the multitude of spectral hands. They picked at his spirit like ravens at the intestines of the battlefield dead. Descendus' song grew louder, a dirge for the fallen. Davriel grunted beneath the touch of the whispers, and felt his soul, his very being, slipping from his body. He used the last sliver of Tessenda's power to resist them, and it just barely prevented his soul from being taken. But in that moment, he broke down and tried to flee. He tried to send himself into the blind eternities and leave this plane. He failed. The Whisperers had hold of his soul, and their touch anchored him to this place. He tried again, and again failed. For the first time in ages, Davriel Kane felt a true panic. It is time. You know it is. No. Davriel smelled blood and smoke. Why? Why do you resist? Use me! No! Why? Why would you choose death? I will not be that man again! He closed his eyes, waiting for the inevitable. I see. 
You are not the person I thought you to be. So be it. Die then. I will find another. His strength exhausted, his options extended. Davriel fell slack in the grip of the Geists. And yet, their fingers on his soul loosened. He opened his eyes. Around him, the Geists had stopped moving, withdrawing their hands. They were looking to the side, toward the dead angel? No, toward Descenda. Her humming voice rose in the room. The song had never worked on these creatures. He didn't completely understand why, or what had changed now. It's her song. The one she's humming. Is it different? Exhausted, he reached inside himself and found one of the only spells he had left, and used it. A simple summoning charm. The vial appeared in his hand. Tassenda, whatever you're doing, Keep going! Tassenda cradled the face of the dead angel, humming the song, the one she had heard in the distance, leading her here. Around her, the sounds of the whispers faded. She heard her vial somewhere, suddenly responding to her song, like a call and reply. Everything around her was the second darkness, and yet she looked upward and something seemed to shimmer, glowing above her. A figure made of pure white light, with wings that seemed to extend into eternity. Tassenda, this song is different. The whisperers have frozen as they listen to it. Even your sister seems transfixed. It's a song I don't know. I've forgotten it. That makes no sense. Just get back to singing. Instead, Tassenda reached upward toward the light. The figure reached out its hand, touching hers. The angel's soul. It's still here. Trapped. Like those of the faithful. That's nonsense. Angels are creations of magic. Like demons, they have no souls. And yet... Tassenda touched the light. Child, why have you stopped singing? How can I sing that song? When they're all dead. When I've forgotten the warmth of the sun. When I've lost even my sister to the true darkness. How can I possibly sing now? Because this is when songs are needed most. The song of warding doesn't work. It's what they needed, but it didn't save them. There's no light left, and I cannot see. That is the secret, Tassenda. What do you do when the night grows cold and the darkness comes for you? She looked up. What song would you sing if you were to choose? Does it matter? It's always mattered. Listen to the music, child. Hear it and sing. Tassenda started to hum. Again, her vial responded, encouraging. Something stirred inside of her, and she rose, resting her fingers on Davriel's shoulder. She took the vial carefully from his hands, and then stepped back into the funeral chamber. She walked as if into a cold wind, among the spirits of the dead. These whispers 
had once been her people. They were not monsters. They were her friends, her family, people she loved. They had simply forgotten that. It was time to remind them. Tessenda opened her mouth and sang, not the warding song. That had only been the song of the first darkness, sung while the people slept. A song of haunted places and barred doors. As she felt their fingers upon her skin, she sang a different song. The song of her youth. The song she'd sung to them while they worked. A song of lives lived. A joyful song, an emotion that kindled as she let it out. Cold fingers on her skin seemed to warm as she remembered days in the sun, a light she could not see but could feel nonetheless. Days singing joyful tunes to the workers, the women of the village, the children who danced around her. It was so hard to find warmth in the darkness. But when the night grew cold and the darkness came for you, that was when you needed to light a fire and make your own light. Davriel pulled back against the wall. He'd been too tired to rise, too tired to do anything but crawl toward the girl. To send a song washed through the room, an incongruously, almost impossibly joyful sound. It was not a song one expected in a crypt or on a night spent fleeing ghosts. The Geists stood mesmerized by this strange, almost forgotten emotion. Their master, Tassenda's sister, turned her head and closed her eyes, as if confronted by a sudden unbearable light, though Davriel saw no such thing. The faces of the Geists began to melt. Or no, they began to unmelt. Quivering ceased, distortions reversed. Hollow eyes blinked with awareness, and mouths shrank from gaping maws into cautious smiles. All around him, terrors of the night became washwomen, farmers, smiths, and children. Never in his life had he been so happy to see a group of peasants. That song filled the chamber. It made stones rattle like percussion. It thrummed through Davriel, a jubilant, elated melody. He found himself standing up, his fatigue lost before that amazing, exultant sound. Willia, however, growled. She seemed to visibly shake as she howled in anger, scrambling forward, losing all semblance of control. She reached toward her sister, as if to grab Tessenda and strangle her, or pull the power by force from her. No, you don't. Davriel pointed at her and summoned the last remnants of a fading spell in his mind. The ink spell. With it, he painted Willia's eyes black. She screamed immediately, stumbling and falling to the ground. No! The darkness! No! I banished you! She trembled, holding out her hands, unable to see them. The second darkness! <sighs> Hellfire. Tessenda's song overwhelmed Willia's mournful cries. The tune was so blasted optimistic, it made him want to dance. Him! Davriel resisted the urge as the song infused the catacombs. 
crypts vibrated with the enthusiastic, eager tune, and even the bones seemed to be rattling with excitement. The Geis began to walk toward Tessenda, pulsing with a green light that was somehow more alive than the sickly glow they'd expressed earlier. One by one, they merged into Tessenda, their light adding to the one that grew around her. Dozens upon dozens of them walked into the room, moving with increased speed, joining that pulsing light, until at last Tessenda stood alone above the cowering form of her sister. I don't understand. Malia clawed at her face, trying to make herself see. What happened to the Geists? They remembered who they were. Lilia looked up. That song. I remember that song. Descenda. I just want to escape the darkness. I know. But you shouldn't have done so by banishing it to everyone around you. Descenda reached out and touched her sister. I'm sorry. But for you, Willia... There must be a third darkness. Tessenda pushed her sister lightly, and Willia's body fell backward. Then a puff of light emerged from her. A soul, sickly and green. It distorted, then quietly vanished, fading away. As soon as Willia died, a second, far more powerful green light burst from her corpse and streamed into Tessenda. Tessenda tipped her head back, eyes opening wide as the light encompassed her. This is your final chance. She will be overcome by the power for a short time, and your talent gives you an ideal opportunity. Reach out and take her power, Daffriel. You could still have us both. The entity was right. By instinct, Davriel reached out, and he found that the completed power of the bog was settling within Tessenda. It didn't rebuff him as it had before. For the moment, it was as confused as she was. He could take it. In that moment, he saw himself as the bearer of two entities. He'd become a being with unrivaled strength. He saw kingdoms bending to his will. He saw himself with power over fate, over destiny, over millions of lives. Such power. Such incredible power. And such misery. Broken bodies as far as the eye could see. He saw himself as that terrible man sitting upon a harsh throne. He saw himself forced to destroy rival after rival, no time to rest, no time for fiddling with word puzzles, no quiet nights spent reading while Miss Highwater tried to figure out how to cook human food. Davriel Kane was no hero, but he knew what he wanted from life. He discovered that truth after terrible personal experience. He would not become that man again. And so he withdrew his hand and left the power alone. Tessenda's sight returned. 
She gasped as lights blossomed inside her, a wonderful, pure, verdant light, a light that seemed so powerful as to shine through stones as if they were paper. You have been chosen, and you have done well. Tessenda fell to her knees before the power, which somehow she already knew intimately. This power that had created her and given her purpose. The power they'd called the Bog. The secret of the approaches. Her destiny. You... You were in all of us. Everyone in the approaches. But strongest in my sister and me. An accident splitting between us? No. I often seek the strongest host. Though once the Priory began to siphon away my power, I had to accelerate the process. The light grew, consuming all that she was. Her soul vibrated with the pure beauty of its song. And within the entity, she saw the souls of thousands who had been nurtured here in the Approaches. The entity seeding its power among them, letting it grow within their souls, then reclaiming it again, enhanced and aged, and the people died. My sister. Can we restore her? Can we make things go back? Back to the way they were before? No. Your sister's choices changed her and those around her forever. That is life and growth. I don't like it. I rediscovered the Song of Joy. Shouldn't that make things better? Different, yes, but better is a matter of human perception. Regardless, I will not force you to bear me. If you wish to release me to another, you may do so. Or in turn, you can keep me and use my strength as your power. What... what will that do to me? Will I become evil like Willia became? That depends on your choices. But you cannot go back to being what you were either way. You can return to your village without me and be forever changed. Or you can take me and be forever changed. For only the dead ever stop changing. Tessenda wavered and then settled on a decision. I will bear this power. Perspective slammed into her like the weight of a mountain. She saw, she saw worlds. Hundreds upon hundreds of them. So many people. Power permeated her. She knew instantly the generations who had lived in the approaches. Memories of the ages. The essence of all those who had come before. She gasped beneath the weight of it, becoming one person with ten thousand souls. And then, she let some go. The entity didn't like it, but she was its master. She would not keep the souls of those who could still live. 
She gave back Jorgo and his family, Dachna, the schoolteacher, Miller Hedvika, Rom and the priests, every person whose body still lived waiting for the spirit to return. That didn't include her parents, who had no bodies to which they could return. Those souls snuggled in against her own, warm and soft. But not her sister's soul. Descenda had recovered the power she held, but poor Willia. She was just gone. Descenda's glow expanded. She was the power, the souls, the entity of the bog, Tessenda of Verlossen, and a thousand others all at once. Tessenda turned, looking at the poor corpse in the prison, its wings nailed to the wall. I saw the angel's soul. I touched it. I know nothing of this. I do not think it possible. Yet it was true. She was a child of two worlds, two gods, two ideals. As she considered it, something deep within her exploded, awakening at the power. Wait. She stepped up to Davril, who was actually looking haggard. She reached and touched the side of his face. Thank you. Her voice overlapped in her own ears, as if a thousand people had said it. And then she stabbed her power into his head, and withdrew the small piece of her strength that he had taken from her earlier in the night. But never try to reach inside my mind again. Then, complete for the first time in her life, Tessenda vanished. To Davriel, headaches were a familiar kind of pain. The kind of pain a family member could inflict. The kind of pain that you had known for so long, you sometimes welcomed it because you recognized it so well. The kind of pain you almost mistook for something else entirely. He settled down in the prioress's chair, behind her desk, sighing and holding his cup of tea. He worked a little further on the contract before him, written in demonic script. That headache did make it difficult. Why can't you fix headaches again? It didn't respond. Still sulking because I didn't take the power. Contemplating. I had always assumed that someday you would awaken. I've been forced to see that might not be the case. You are not worthy of me, and I never were. Don't be like that. Think how jealous you'd have been with another entity dividing my attention. You have failed greatly, Davril Kane. You will know the cost of this day. You will curse yourself when that which you love burns. Not because you had too much power, but because you lacked the strength to stop your enemies. Davriel shivered. There was something about the way the entity spoke. A hostility he had never known from it before. They will come for you. Those who search for you will hear what has happened here. You have just ensured that you will never, ever be able to hide again. 
fell silent. Davriel sighed softly, then took a sip of his tea. For the moment, with that deliciously floral taste in his mouth, he didn't really care about the entity. He gladly felt the tea soothing him. It always had helped with the headaches. On the floor in front of the desk, a body stirred. The prioress blinked open her eyes. Elsewhere in the priory, Davriel heard calls as the other priests started to wake up. The girl had restored their souls before leaving. He'd ascertained that when he'd found the prioress breathing, but it seemed that it took a little while for their bodies to recover. The prioress sat up, putting her hand to her head. She looked up and frowned, noticing Davriel at her desk. You lied to me, Merlinda. You have kept terrible secrets from me. He held up the tea. I found an entire tin of Verlassen Dust Willow in your cupboard. I expect you to explain yourself post-haste. She frowned. Also, there's the small matter of a deific angel kept locked in your catacombs. An angel who was slowly siphoning power away from the bog, building a crescendo of untapped strength that begged for some foolish mortal to abuse it. But... But really, let's keep our attention on the serious problems. You explicitly told me you were out of tea. She pulled herself to her feet and glanced out the window at the risen sun. What happened? Hmm? Davriel sipped the tea. Oh, Willia Verlassen killed her parents by accident. After reclaiming the power locked in the catacombs, she returned here intending to confess, then lost her faith when she found out you'd murdered her god. She instead began gathering the power of the bog, and, enthralled by its promises, started to pull the souls out of the people of Verlassen. Hellfire. Young Willia? Are you sure? Well, the first few times she tried to kill me last night, I was a little uncertain. But when she actively commanded an army of guys to rip my soul from my body, the truth finally dawned on me. He sipped his tea. I stopped her, by the way. You're welcome. It was your duty as Lord of the Approaches. I really should have read the entire contract. Where was the part about cleaning up your messes? Right after the articles of caveat emptor, I assume? She didn't reply, instead standing in the sunlight and closing her eyes, and then letting out a long sigh. Davriel rested his fingers on a sword he'd placed on the desk, long, curved, and wicked. Poor Crunchnar. Was it strange that Davriel was going to miss the Sour Fool? He'd never find another demon who was that fun to tease. We need to prepare. After the events of last night and this morning, we may see an increase in inquiries after me, ones we will not find easy to turn aside. She glanced at him. I am still rather put out to find a dead god in your basement, Merlinda. She wasn't our god any more than the bog was. She was our burden. <sighs> Both were. Well, now there's someone else's burden. Poor girl. What do you mean? The prioress turned. Then she paled, looking at what he'd been writing. Have you been profaning my priory with demonic magic, Cain? How dare you? Don't even start. Just don't. Besides, this is barely magic. It's more a legal document encouraging the dark forces, reminding them that there is one being most likely to win my soul above all others. Hopefully. 
Almost, he would pray to that dead angel if he thought it would help. Please. His heart leaped as he heard a group of startled screams echoing from below. He jumped to his feet, tucking a bundle under his arm and pushing out into the hallway. The prioress followed as he dashed down the steps, following the shouts, and entered the catacombs. He quickly walked to the small chamber where the sealant stone had once been kept. Several young priests were in the room, screaming in fear. Likely they'd been trying to find a way to put the trinket back together. If so, they had been interrupted by a dark figure forming from smoke in front of them. Davriel quickly took off his cloak and settled it on the dark form as it took shape. It wasn't entirely covering, however, and so the prioress gasped as Miss Highwater appeared. One of the priests actually fainted. Don't gawk. It only encourages her. The demon caught his eye, then smiled. Relief flooded through him. It was her smile. He'd been half afraid a new creature would be created to fulfill the instructions he'd written. Did we win? Honestly, I'm not sure. My peasants are back, but our little musician girl absconded with an ancient and incalculably valuable power. Miss Highwater, true to form, held out her hand expectantly. He smiled, then unwrapped her ledger from the bundle of clothing he was holding and handed it to her. She eyed the priests who were trying to inch out of the room. The prioress, showing good sense, had folded her arms, but didn't appear like she was going to make any demands of him. Only one fainted. I really am losing my touch, aren't I? And you, you let the girl get away with the power of the bog? Really? I was busy mourning Crunchnaw's untimely demise. You sap. She flipped through her ledger to the notes at the back. Joke all you want, but I know you're going to miss him. Anything else I should know? The priests were hiding an angel. They locked her up when she went mad, then made poor Rom slit her throat. Cute. And I'm supposed to be the demon. They might be in the market for a new object of worship. You could apply. What do you suppose their policy is on nudity? I'd guess somewhere between HELL NO and OH ANGELS ABOVE MY BRAIN IS MELTING but remember they do have nice hats. <laughs> I'll pass. I believe I still have an unfulfilled contract with a certain willful diabolist. As for Chisenda, I suppose I'll need to track her down. Really, Dav, how did you let her filch that power from you? Perhaps I just didn't want it. Miss Highwater snapped her ledger closed, narrowing her eyes at him. Tessenda really did deserve the entity. She did most of the work, singing and reclaiming the souls of the villagers. You should have seen her. It was very heroic. You don't believe in heroism. Nonsense! I absolutely accept that it is an attribute others believe they possess. As for Miss Verlassen, well, the truth is, I needed to prove a point. By doing nothing? Nothing is the very thing to which I am best suited. He held out his arm to her, and she took it. Come, do you think we can expect the peasants to get back to the harvest today? They've spent an entire day dead, so they should be well rested, and I appear to be down to a single tin of tea.
Thank you for listening to this production of Voice of All. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you not just for the voices of the characters, but also to keep us going and growing. If you enjoyed what you heard, please support us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, or following us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts, or just plain sharing with your friends. You can also support us financially on Patreon for exclusive perks. Children of the Nameless was written by Brandon Sanderson. The podcast was produced and edited by Gin Dookeshi, with sound editing by Liz Jones, Grace Noir, Knock Shade, and Christina Edelman. This week's story featured the voice talents of Madison Dabbs, Ozzy Snedden, Cameron Scott Saxon Newoner, Dee Dee Foyer, Benjamin Mackinson, Emily Doms, Paul Warren, Brookie Morgan, Bass Jalaren, and Sharon Grunwald. Voice of All is unofficial fan content, permitted under the Wizards of the Coast fan content policy. Magic the Gathering is copyright, Wizards of the Coast. This was our first try at doing a novella, so please let us know what you thought. It was a lot of fun to make, a lot of work, and I hope you had a good time. Thanks so much for listening, and y'all have a great day.